HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you stories about how Gen Z is different from their millennial predecessors through the lens of food. My knowledge of alcohol didn't really come from like Bud Light commercials or like Project X. Yeah, and that's my gripe with the platform as well, is that all these DIY videos, cooking videos, they're 20 seconds. What's one food item from your childhood that you wish you could have today? Dunkaroos, because they don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Although, the Dunkaroos Twitter was activated again a year ago, so it's only a matter of time. They've tweeted a couple times, it's pretty hype. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's food news and storytelling roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host, presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, This podcast series dives into what the American Humane Certified Label really means. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren, and today on the show, I have Jane Ciccone, the founder of Anesto Food, specialty food cracker and cookie producer, who uses honest ingredients and will never use preservatives or anything artificial in their recipes. They've also won the award from Culture Magazine in 2019 for best accompaniment, uh, so you know it's a darn good cracker. Uh, Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kara. Absolutely. So I have uh, never spoken to a cracker producer before, and I'm I'm excited to do this because I want to know what uh, what drives someone to make crackers. So um, I'd like to start with what what is the beginning of this journey sound like? Sure. Um, so our journey started, I guess, um, when my husband and I were both growing up. We uh, both grew up in Italian American families. Um, my actually, my grandparents were from Naples and Sicily, and my mom grew up in New York City. And um, always like being around family and having at five o'clock work stopped. This antipasto platter came out. The adults would hang out in the kitchen. The kids were running around and it was just a time for everybody to gather um, after a long day. And then we would have dinner. Um, And my husband grew up pretty much the same way. And so we decided when we got married and had kids that we wanted to continue that tradition. We we just loved everybody gathering in the kitchen. Um, 
and around, uh, so, and then let's see, I became a healthy cooking teacher when our kids were really little. Um, and I was going into people's homes and teaching them how to, um, incorporate more healthy ingredients, minimally processed, getting the kids involved in cooking. Um, cause studies show when the kids are cooking, they're more likely to eat what they just made. Um, you know, just make the kitchen more of an inviting, fun place for the families. Um, and so around that time, our daughter was, I would say about two and a half or three, and she was starting to get sick from everything that it seemed like everything that she was eating. And we took her to the doctor and he had suggested um, that it looked like she had celiac and that we should cut out all crackers, breads, pastas. And so, the first thing. Oh. That's such a travesty to me. I mean, yeah, as it, an Italian family, I, 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 just, I don't know what you would. <laughs> that's like telling yeah. your, your mom and dad must have been like. Oh no. It was um, awful. The first thing we thought of was our platters, our five o'clock <laughs> platters. Yeah. Um, so rather than give up on that, I tried to, um, you know, find products that we would stand behind. And I just, I couldn't find anything for her that we felt good about giving her. Um, and, you know, so many of the ingredients we couldn't pronounce or we didn't know what they were, or there was like a hundred ingredients for this one little cracker. So I started playing around and making my own ingredients or making my own crackers. And I was using my cooking class students as focus groups. And I was bringing the crackers to these classes to get feedback and people were going crazy over them. And, but I was worried to say that they were gluten-free because I just felt like there was the stigma that gluten-free was going to be gross. So I didn't want to lead anybody. Um, but they were just going crazy. And then when I would say, actually, these are gluten-free, they, they would, I can't even believe this. This is crazy. you got to try and sell these. So we started with farmer's markets and got great reviews and we're selling out. Yeah. And then I tried to find a couple stores and it just kind of kept blossoming from there. And that was about six years ago. And um, I was, so, was going to ask you, how long yeah. ago was it? Because the gluten-free trend... Um, because now I, it seems like you're in the pattern with every, with like a little bit, right? I mean, yeah, you yeah. Ahead of it? it sounds like you were. Yeah. I don't know if we were ahead of it, but I think like mass produced gluten-free companies, they I mean, they've been doing it for a while, but to have an artisan company be gluten-free. So I guess maybe we were ahead of it in that sense, but it's just, I think for us, we say that they're delicious crackers and honest ingredients that happen to be gluten-free because I, they're, they're a, like a crossover cracker. When people mm -hmm. are eating them, they don't, they can't believe that they're gluten-free and they're a great product to put out when you're having a dinner party and you don't know who's gluten-free and who's not. So they kind of appeal to everybody. So in that sense, I feel like we're ahead of the curve where um, we don't just appeal to the gluten-free community, although we very much do. That's uh, that's very interesting because I mean I I could see where yes exactly that's I love that it's a crossover cracker that you said that that's that's excellent. Thanks. Um, so what was what was the hardest part of the journey? Now you have this awesome idea uh, about having a gluten free cracker that's an artisan uh, gluten free cracker. How does how does it go from an idea to selling it in stores? I mean that must have been a hard process. I, yeah. I um. So in the very beginning, I felt like. It was hard, but it was a little bit easier because when you're just starting out and you're so niche and artisan, um, people will take a chance. And 
I, God bless the stores that took our product. You know, I would walk into their stores with a Ziploc baggie and a Sharpie written on it, what the crackers were. And I'd hand write my information on a piece of paper and hand it to them and would say, if you love our crackers, you know, you can give me a call and we'll, we'll make more for you. But as we started to grow, um, that's when it started to get scary, you know, having to go through the FDA and food safe classes. And um, I've loved every part of the journey, but the more we've grown, the bigger things get. And um, the, the more you need, the more infrastructure and the more licensing you need. And um, that's, that's the part that's always scary to me is, oh God, are we going to, do we really want to undertake, take this initiative to do this when it, there's so much behind it and you just don't know are the mistakes we make seem bigger but uh, that's yeah. the only way you learn I guess and you want to keep the integrity of the cracker as well yes and that the recipe has never changed the process for making it um we just have bigger machines and more hands but they're still handmade and they're still hand salted and they're still um you know the the rosemary is still crushed in the food processor it's just a bigger food processor now. So, um, yeah, that the, the process has not changed. I see. And so, okay, you have three flavors of crackers. Am I, yep. are there more now? Is there more nope. than three? Okay. Nope. We have, we had four, um, we had an ancho chili cracker, I would say about four years ago and people were so put off. They thought that it was going to be spicy, although it really wasn't. Um, so we kind of let that go away just because, um, you know, wasn't selling as well. Um, okay. Although my kids were devastated because they called them healthy Doritos. They loved ah, them. So maybe it's a rename yeah. situation. Yeah, down the yeah, I think so. Maybe. Or maybe um, rename a, it. a Halloween cookie or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, not a cookie, a cracker. Excuse me. That's the I other side that. of your business, which. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, and then now I've seen you. How did, How is that segue going for you from uh, cracker to cookie now? It's actually going pretty well. Um, we didn't know it at the time, but um, obviously, so we launched the cookies in January and then the pandemic hit in March, February, March. Mm -hmm. And the fact that our cookies are all individually wrapped is really helping us right now because people are so worried about, you know, putting cookies in a jar at a store or putting them in the bakery department where you have to reach in and you grab your own cookie. Um, so I think the fact that they're, individually pre-wrapped is um, a selling point. Um, they do really well in college campuses, which sadly, you know, a lot of college campuses aren't going to be around in the fall. So, um, yeah. or not that they're not going to be around, but they're going to be uh, at a let, much less capacity. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the cookies are doing really well. I think that the Onesto, it, it has a following now, the brand has a following. So people are really excited to be trying them. So what are the cookie flavors that you're up to nowadays? Um, so the cookies are uh, chocolate chip, cinnamon and sugar, and double chocolate chip, which ooh. is like a really big brownie. It's like a cookie brownie. It's so ha good. Have you done cheese pairings with the cookies yet? We have, we have not done that yet. And I would love to send you some and you can, you can figure <laughs> out some pairings. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll play around with that. So like this yeah. is actually a great way to lead into the next corner of the of the story here is that yeah. you are now vegan but you weren't vegan but now I, you are <laughs> yeah yeah I have not have not always been a vegan um when I first got married I was vegetarian for a little while um 
and uh, just kind of went back into eating. I never really ate a lot of beef, but um, chicken and fish. And then about a year or so ago, I just, um, I don't know, something about the animals just hit me harder this time. And we had gone to a farm. And even though they were saying that um, it was not, like, it was not a CAFO farm, it was not mass producing milk and cheese, I just did not like what I was seeing and how they were treating the cows. And um, it really just stuck with me. And so I thought, I'm going to just try this for a little while. And I have felt, I've just felt a lot better. Um, I didn't do it so much for the health reasons as much as um, the animals and the environment. And we care so much at Onesto about our impact on the environment that I thought, um, you know, I'd like to try and do something more. I'm only one person. My family is, are not vegans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I'm just one person um, making a difference, but it just still feels really good to me at the end of the day. No, that's that's fair. And so when it comes to cheese pairing now, you have to depend on your husband or is it just from memory, muscle memory yeah. that you... Uh... Um, yeah, so we did all of our pairings. We have some great pairings on our website and we have some pairing um, brochures that we hand out. And that's all from before when I was vegan, when I was not vegan. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of cheese pairing testing. Um, but now I rely on my husband, friends. You know, I, I don't have any friends that are vegan. So they all will take our crackers and have cheese and cracker wine nights. And um, so I get a lot of feedback from them. And I do have to say that the vegan cheeses are getting a lot better than what I think they used to be. So I'm having some fun, like playing around with my own vegan cheese recipes and um, talking to some vegan cheese shops, um, mainly in New York City, that offer some great suggestions. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So uh, cutting the curd, curd nerds, it's okay. There's still other people eating cheese out there. Don't freak out yet. Jane's no. one of the few vegans right now. <laughs> yo, yo, it's not, I'm not suggesting it. It's only, I did it for me. Yeah. I do miss cheese. I My husband got um, a pizza the other night with some amazing cheeses on it. And I, I was actually like, oh God, I got to get up from the table. This looks so good. <laughs> oh um, man. All right. Let's, let's do a, a quick break and then uh, i just want to i'll quiz you on a few things uh listeners we have uh jane from onesto crackers and we'll be right back i'm lisa held a food journalist and podcast host presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane Certified Label really means. We're looking inside the farm certification process, beginning with the moment a farmer expresses interest in becoming American Humane Certified, all the way to a consumer seeing the seal on store shelves. And American Humane is our country's first national humane organization founded way back in 1877. Now we certify nearly 1 billion farm animals each and every year. Despite that growth, uh, roughly 90% of U.S. farm animals are still raised without the benefit of independently verified science-based standards. Subscribe to Behind the Label with American Humane wherever you listen to podcasts.
All right, welcome back everyone to Cutting the Curd. I'm Kara Warren and my guest today is Jane Ciccone of Onesto Foods. And we are about to quiz her on what's in her fridge. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the show where we kind of find out what's <laughs> in the hidden corners of our guest fridge. Uh, Jane, what, what's happening? Do you, have, do you have a hidden cheese for the fam in there or some other crazy fermented concoction? What's happening? Um, oh, it's so funny that you say that because I'm really into fermenting lately. The past um, month, I would say, I've been fermenting some veggies that have been coming from our garden. So I just fermented um, some beets and carrots that I have not opened yet. They're still bubbling away. Um, but we... Uh, about a month ago, or maybe three weeks ago, I fermented um, some cabbage and carrots and ginger. And they were so good. The pink liquid was beautiful and the crunch of them, and it was just delicious. Oh. Um, Any tips for the listeners on that kind of stuff that, um, that you do? It's super easy. Yeah, I, I was so intimidated by it, but it's, it's really easy. I just use a wide mouth mason jar, and you put uh, one tablespoon of salt for every two cups of warm water and you put it in a saucepan and let the salt dissolve and then you pack you absolutely have to pack the mason jar with as many veggies as you can um you know hard sturdy veggies that aren't going to break down like I wouldn't do a tomato or corn mm. um and so and this time I added some whole um cloves of garlic and some big pieces of dill and rosemary and I just mashed them all in there and then pour the the dissolved salt water over it. And then I bought these little tops that have a valve that will release all the gases. Mm. Um, so, and they were like $8 online. Nice. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And it takes about a week to four weeks. You can start opening them anytime after one week. Oh. But the longer they sit, the more they um, will ferment. So. so to me, that would, so then you have these excellent, you know, you have the pickled vegetables and then you have, which, well, does it matter which cracker? I mean, you're the cracker expert now. Um, I would, so if they're fermented veggies and they're really strong, I would definitely do the sea salt. They just pretty much go with everything. Um, and my husband has been doing, um, my husband and kids, the bijou cheese from Vermont Creamery. They They love that cheese. It's like a creamy goat spree cheese mm -hmm. um and they'll smear that on a cracker and then put some of the pickled fermented veggies on it and it's, it's delicious and i've been trying to make my own cheese so i'll put some of that on there and happy ah. happy <laughs> it, no it sounds delicious is there yeah. cracker etiquette with cheese that we should know about like um do runnier cheeses like your crackers are on the thicker side right yeah well they're not so thick but they're really sturdy because of the flour blend that we use we have a brown rice flour in there that really helps hold things together um so they're pretty good you can smear things on them you can put chunks of cheese on them and they're not going to fall apart you can spread them through guacamole um and they they hold up that was that must have been when you were first designing the crackers. I would imagine the thickness and the sturdiness of the cracker was very important. So funny that you say that because we spent so many hours testing thickness with the caliper, the little pinch or thing that you put on like some people will check their the, their weight on their side of their like their legs or their backs of their arms no way but we were checking yeah we were checking the thickness of the cracker down to the millimeter because one millimeter difference it just had such a different mouthfeel 
So, and then when we're running our crackers through, we call them a sheeter. Um, mm -hmm. It's like a humongous rolling pin, like one rolling pin on top of the other. Um, we had to have it a certain millimeter apart so that the rosemary in the dough could go through without getting stuck. Oh. So there was a lot to consider. Um, and I think we found the sweet spot where it's thin enough that you don't feel like you're like taking a huge bite of this crunchy thing, but thick enough that it withstands smearing the brie cheese on it or swiping it through hummus or guacamole. Yeah, because that's very important. I Like, I know this yeah. sounds crazy, but when I'm no. eating certain crackers or chips... The second it breaks, it's yeah. over to me. I've lost my entire piece de resistance. You know, it's like. Yes. <laughs> it's I totally agree. Yeah. And then you're using your hands to put it back together yes. or you're taking all of the shards to push yes. them together to make yes. one cracker. I agree. There's a science behind it. <laughs> Absolutely. So then yeah. my, my next engineering funny question to you is. Uh, now you understand the thickness of the cracker. You also need to fit a certain amount of crackers in the box, and they have to be shaped for a certain type of box, right? I mean, yes. that's all part of it yes. too, right? Yep, yep. And we we toyed around with: Do we want the long cracker that then people can break and share? And um, we got we had a lot of focus groups, and we got feedback that people at dinner parties felt weird about going in and breaking up a big lavash. They didn't, mm -hmm. they didn't like that. So we went with the smaller cracker. Um, we did some research on like crackers that were already on the market. What size did you like? And people kept coming back to the wheat thin size. Mm -hmm. So we thought, all right, we're going to try and size it around that, you know, like just the perfect bite. Mm -hmm. If you're at a dinner party and you're eating, you don't want to have to be taking bites of something while you're talking to somebody. It's kind of awkward. Mm -hmm. So you just pop the cheese and cracker in your mouth in one bite. And um, that seemed to be the consensus of everybody that we talked to. Um, so we went with a smaller cracker. How funny and, that that's um, the comforting yeah. size, a square that's probably, yeah, what yeah. is it, like one by one inch or something Yeah, like pretty that? much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, yep, I, exactly. It's, it's a tab of cracker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I find difficult because I'll just keep eating them. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like well, there's not that but, many, so I'm like, I'll just keep eating these. So well, That's yeah. good for your business, though, I'll say. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep, well, I guess so. That's great. And then uh, I'm curious, I've, I've read in your literature online, um, you also have an eco, I mean, I, I can, I can tell you're very mindful of how things are done. And, uh, yeah. and so you mentioned eco-friendly part of your product. Um, is that, well, we should go over one, what that is. And then are people looking for that now? Are distributors yeah. or stores looking for that more often now? Um, so, so the eco-mindedness part of it, we knew that when we started a consumer packaged goods brand, that where we're going to have a lot of waste and just it's inherent with all the plastic and all of the cardboard and um and all of the the energy that we would be using that we were um we really wanted to try and do our part to offset that um so we our bakery is 100% solar powered and our um and it's in a repurposed kombucha distillery so it wasn't like we had to break ground to build something else it's um it's actually really cool on one whole side of the wall is this um like scientific really cool um mural that was like all these bunsen burners and these really neat things that they were using in the kombucha distillery um and so our our packaging is printed with 100 percent wind energy and it's printed with only 
uh, vegetable and soy dyes that are sustainable and not chemical. They don't have any chemical solvents in them. And um, they're all 100% curbside recyclable and made from recycled materials. Um, And our cookie packaging, 90% of the waste that's generated when they go when it goes to production is recaptured in the plant and reused in a process that they call the waste to energy program. So they're just like reusing 90% of their energy. Um, so that, you know, they're, they're, you know, again, we're a really small company and, but we're just really trying to do our part. And I guess to answer your question is, are people looking for it? I think people, some are actively looking for it and others, when we tell them about that, then they get so excited and they really want to be behind Onesto and our brand. And, um, I, I think it's a, it's a great movement that's happening that people really care about the environment and care about what they're doing to it and how they can offset it. So, um, if we can, you know, if we can help a little bit, that means a lot to us. So, yeah, I, I think that's, it's great that you're doing that. I I notice sometimes now in the news, you see consumers are, um, looking to do economic activism. And I think, uh, when they read about your product or they enjoy your product, they're already, they're feeling better about themselves. So they're enjoying a great cracker, a great cookie. And then you have, you know, you're actually supporting something that's uh, doing well for the planet. Um, We're not at least putting bad things back into the planet. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, I hope as we grow that there's even more that we can do and more changes that we make. And um, we're part of this program called the Forest Stewardship Council. So our packaging is printed with Forest Stewardship Council um, authorized or um, um, like um, awarded paper. And um, so that means that um, the Forest Stewardship Council helps make sure that um, for every plant that's taken down to make paper, new plants are planted, new trees are planted. And there's minimum or there's like a uh, what is it? Um, living wages for all of their employees, and they don't displace indigenous people to cut down a forest. So, um, you know, we need paper, we need cardboard, but let's just do it in a smart, sustainable way. And then, uh, for a company like yourself, then it, does that cost more money? To it probably does cost more money. Mm-hmm. I would, I would imagine. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then uh, that's the yeah. sad reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so our our products are expensive, um, but. I hope that when people read the box or they listen to this podcast or they read about us in a magazine or something that they understand why, um, Mm -hmm. that it's, it definitely costs more to make it. They are actually handmade. We don't have robots making our crackers. There's no lasers involved. And, Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, people are more expensive than machines. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're actually made by people that love our products and, um, so yeah, all of this does cost more money, um, but it, for us, that's important. Could we sell a ton more at a lower price? Yes, but, um, no, but you that would mean the... we'd have to sacrifice some of our our values. Yeah, and we're not willing to do that. So and and how many people are you employing now to make crackers? So um, I, so we technically um, we work with a bakery in Vermont. So I don't have to go up there all the time because we live in Massachusetts. Oh, I see. Okay. So the bakery is actually uh, owned by somebody else, and we contract them. 
Okay. So there's probably, if I had to guess, there's at any given time, there's probably like 30 bakers at a time. Okay. Um, that's working there. And then, um, well, we do have one in-house designer. Um, she helps us and, um, and then we just hired a girl that's helping a woman, a young woman that's helping us with social media. So that's yeah. super new for us. So No, but that's great. Yeah. You're growing. Um, I mean, it sounds yeah. like you started from like a local, maybe Massachusetts, Vermont area. And yep. now you're being sold. Are you being sold regionally now? Yeah, so we're actually national now. Oh, okay. Um, Excuse me. Yeah, that's okay. I <laughs> yeah. know. It's it's crazy. So yeah. our first kitchen where, and I was making the crackers with my mom who had just retired. She had a baking company um, for about 25 years and she retired. And so she came and helped me and we were able to... Uh, kind of renovate our church's kitchen no one was using it so i was able to go to the church board and then the city of newburyport mass and then the state and get it certified for commercial kitchen and we brought in some commercial ovens and a couple of commercial counters and my mom and i would bake every day and then she would go home and i would go home get my kids off the bus my husband would come home for dinner and then i'd go back to the kitchen at the church and bake and we did that for about, um, I would say six months and then we outgrew it all. And so then that's when we found the, um, the church or the, the bakery Baker. in Vermont. Wow. Yeah. So oh, it, it was, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Those, how, how those many hours is months. that in, uh, in... Oh my God. It, it was, uh, it was a lot. I have a lot of burn marks on my arms. Oh my goodness. Um, and, uh, yeah, there were some nights that I was there, you know, with this humongous church just me in it with the kitchen light on baking with these 1920s uh wolf ovens the original wolf oven (laughs) it's crazy yeah yeah it was really neat and spooky Uh, i was gonna say it might be a little spooky but (laughs) yeah it was very i'm glad you also think it might (laughs) Uh, it was extremely spooky so now i guess my follow-up is what where do you see onesto in in the future years what's your next move so we actually have uh, a several different product lines that we want to launch. So a recipe that I grew up um, having with my grandmother, uh, my mom's mom and her family is called Caponata, which um, it's basically an Italian version of a ratatouille. So um, it's like simmered simmered down eggplants and tomatoes and capers and carrots and celery. And it's so delicious. Um, And it's so versatile because you can put a dollop of it on a cracker with some cheese. You can put it over fish and bake it in the oven, put over chicken. You can stuff it in some pounded out um, um, beef, or you can thin it out with a little bit of red wine and make a pasta sauce out of it. Um, And it's just such, it's a a food, uh, a recipe that's so near and dear to me that I cannot wait for the day that I can bring it to market. Um, I have seen things out there like it, but nothing like what my grandmother made. So, um, I would absolutely, I I'm thrilled about the day that we can do that. And we had it on track to do it maybe later this year, but with everything that's going on with the virus, it's just, um, getting ingredients right now, it, it can be challenging. So, um, we're going to put it on the back burner for at least 2021. Yeah, that that sounds good. I'm coming over for Sunday dinner. All right. Oh my God, it's so good. We eat well. We eat well in our house. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh my yeah. goodness. Uh, well, Jane, I want to say a, a big thank you for joining us on Cutting the Curd today. This has been great. Um, 
I am I'm very excited to see what happens for Ernesto next. And oh, that rhymes. And uh, you know, uh, you know, just this was great. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor. And um, thanks for helping me get the word out about Onesto and um, what we're trying to do. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you to all the listeners out there. Uh, please follow us on Instagram at Cutting the Curd. Uh, you can follow Onesto Crackers on Instagram as well. So it's Onesto underscore crackers. Uh, you can follow me at Kara Warren. And uh, please um, write us some reviews on Apple or Stitcher if you're listening to this. Have a, Can have I a just say, sorry, oh, it's Onesto underscore foods. Yes, on Onesto underscore, oh, foods, pardon moi. Yes, yes. So, so, I'm sorry. No, not at all. Okay. No, okay. no, that's good that you, you <laughs> I should have known you're making caponata next. So Onesto yes, underscore right. foods, excuse Food. me, is the correct Instagram handle. And um, yeah, please leave us a review online. That would be great. Eat more cheese, everyone. Have a good evening. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.